Welcome to the latest edition of the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast, brought to you by Qubit, the trusted experts in analytics. Our goal is to cut through the jargon and hype around analytics and data science and share practical advice to guide you on your analytics journey. You can find us at qubit.com, that's Q-U-E-B-I-T.com. Thank you for joining me today. I'm A.G. Tan. Ryan McKinney became a master consultant at Qubit and one of our wonderful experts. He worked in finance in the health insurance industry. His experience there deepened his appreciation of the connection between everyday operations, where data are collected, and future strategic plans, which should ideally be informed by data. Among other things, he saw how analytics technologies can bridge the gap between those two extremes. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, A.G. So, Ryan, um, let's start with with this. Um, So even though I expect our listeners know what health insurance is, or at least have some idea, most of us know it from the consumer point of view. Um, We or our employers, if we're lucky, pay an affordable monthly premium. And in, in exchange, we have the comfort of knowing that if something bad happens and we need expensive medical care, our insurer will pay most or all of the cost. So like all insurance for a family, it's a way to manage and spread risk. So can you paint a picture of how this looks from the health insurer's point of view, from the other side? So what's the business proposition at a high level? And what levers does a health insurer have to provide better service or make a profit or Is it true that they're just rolling in money the way we consumers sometimes think they are? Sure, great question. Um, From the insurer's point of view, there are basically three major components to their business. There's revenue, medical costs, and then operating costs. So uh, an insurer takes in revenue usually in the form of premiums, and they they collect those from you and I. They collect them from maybe your employer, uh, from the employer-paid portion. They may collect it from um, also other government entities. So those, those are the premiums. That's basically their revenue. And then the majority of a health insurer's cost is really tied up in medical costs. So those are payments to providers. You know, when we go to the doctor, go to the hospital, um, have to have, you know, CAT scan, something like that. And generally speaking, about 70 to 80% of an insurer's cost or you know, expense is, is paid out uh, in the form of medical costs to, to, to uh, providers. Um, the remaining 20, 30% is, is all that's left to cover things like overhead, um, which is you know, things like paying claims processors, actuaries, accountants, uh, you know, all those the back office folks. And that usually only leaves about three to 7% for profit. And that's, that's generally what health insurers target. Um, so, Though they may be rolling in cash uh, in the form of collecting revenues, they do collect you know billions of dollars in revenue. A large, large portion of that actually gets paid out um, in our healthcare system to providers. Um, there are a couple levers um, that uh, health insurers can use to to increase their revenues and increase profit. Um, the biggest one is, of course, just increasing membership. Right, so capturing a larger share of the market, um, which is always tricky, though, right? Because you know, in order to do that, do you do you drop prices? Uh, do you offer better service? 
you know, how, how do you go about capturing that uh, greater membership? And then the increase in premiums they collect so they can raise rates, um, which does happen. And uh, they could also reduce medical costs, or what is often referred to as medical cost trend. So that would be, you know, finding ways to partner maybe with a provider to offer, you know, uh, some kind of partnership where they, um, you know, give uh, preferential pricing uh, to members in their um, in their groups on, um, you know, on different uh, operations or with different doctors and things like that. And then the last one is just, you know, reducing operating costs, right? So hiring less accountants, actuaries, claims processors, perhaps, you know, replacing claims processors with, you know, technology solution so that, you know, to automate claims processing. Now, that's really interesting. I had never thought of health insurance as, you know, such a relatively low margin business, right? You said three to seven percent. Um, one thing you didn't mention um, explicitly, but maybe it's built into medical costs. I mean, is there any thing that has to be put aside for reserving um, as well to sort of build up some pool of money for if all of a sudden a lot of people have, you know, uh, are making claims or going to the doctor more for expensive, you know, reasons? Yeah, absolutely. So insurers are um, required to keep uh, certain cash reserves on hand at all times. And so um, that, those cash reserves are, are set aside to just for paying out uh, claims for um, anything that's already happened basically to that point in time. So they have to estimate what they think on, not necessarily on a daily basis, but certainly on a monthly basis for reporting, what those claims are gonna look like. If they say, if they shut down a segment of business, how much do they think they'll have to pay out through the end of, you know, of when people are insured. So if they said, okay, no more insurance as of today. Well, there's still lagging claims, right? There's still, maybe someone went to the doctor that day, you just haven't received the claim yet. So they're, they have to hold on to those cash reserves to pay those claims out. And that is, um, you know, money that they, it's not, it's revenue in the form of premiums, um, but it's not, of course, you know, it's just future medical cost um, that they haven't paid up for yet. Right. But this only works, right, if, if total premiums exceeds total medical costs. Right? That's right. And for some, at least some lines of business, that doesn't always happen, right? Um, there, are, there are instances where, um, you know, a particular business will see, you know, spikes in claims, maybe some large claims um, that will, at least in the short term, disrupt, um, you know, that expectation that premiums exceed uh, medical cost. Right. And you mentioned um, regulations that require that they hold cash reserves. I mean, are there other regulatory things that they have to worry about? Yeah, sure. So that particular regulation of um, cash reserves is, is um, generally a state regulation. They're, they're um, you know, monitored and report to some sort of state regulator um, that um, really does not just I think health insurance, but really all insurance because that's something that affects them all really just having enough cash on hand to play pay claims because in the past um, as you can imagine, you know, if someone you know, you have all this cash laying around some sort of um, less scrupulous <laughs> insurers 
invested that money maybe not uh in the wisest way and um you know there were times uh in, earlier on in our history where uh insurance went up insurance company went under um and the people were just out their money and you know the insurer wasn't around to pay the claims so that's all state regulation and then the other part of it um is of course the federal law um the affordable care act or referred to as ACA. Um, and there are, there's a lot in ACA, um, but I think the biggest thing for insurers is probably the medical loss ratio. So there's a requirement around what they call MLR, medical loss ratio. So that is, medical loss ratio is just the percentage of dollars paid out for claims divided by the total premiums collected. And if, you don't meet that threshold of, let's say, you know, in a particular business, maybe it's, you know, 75% of the dollars you collect have to be paid out in medical claims, then you actually have to rebate some portion um, of the premiums you collected back to the member or back to the employer or both, depending on, you know, what kind of insurance. If it's personal insurance you bought on the market or insurance through your provider or through your employer. Wow. That's a great intro. Thank, thank you for uh, taking us through that. It's very interesting. So it seems that when margins are tight, you know, that's where perhaps using analytics technologies to find efficiencies becomes especially beneficial. So, you know, of all the levers that you mentioned, like operating expense management or pricing and premiums or um, growing membership, are there any that have an especially big impact? And um, do you have any examples you can share? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'd say the biggest one is, is medical cost, right? So when you think of uh, what an insurer has to pay out, um, you know, they may collect billions, or let's say they collect a billion in premiums revenue, they're still having to pay out something like, you know, 800 million in claims so you know finding ways to reduce that um those medical expenses which would then allow them to say for instance lower their premiums um, and draw and thereby draw in more members uh, because they offer you know a more competitive price that's that's a really um a really uh a big deal for for health insurers um now it's it's hard to do, right? Because some of this, you know, insurers just like the rest of us are subject to the same pressures, economic pressures, as, um, including you know rising costs for, you know, whether it's facilities like not new hospitals and equipment and you know, doctors, new technologies. Um, you know, we're we're pretty blessed in the U.S. as far as having you know, really great options of healthcare, but our healthcare is, um, you know, kind of expensive. So there's a lot of pressure, kind of upwards pressure on those costs. Um, but companies have, you know, kind of already started using data analytics in this area, especially uh, prescriptive analytics. So that would be, you know, for, for your listeners, prescriptive is, I have a situation where, you know, XYZ is happening, there, the system, in this case, um, would say, if given these things being true, these conditions being true, 
this is the action you should take, right? And so the way they leverage prescriptive analytics is they say, all right, so we have, we have, you know, a particular member who is at risk for complications from diabetes, right? Um, we get notification from their medical, you know, they can scan through medical records and things like that. We get reference that they've, you know, maybe they've, you know, they've missed an appointment. Uh, maybe they haven't had an annual appointment in the last year. Maybe they haven't filled their uh, prescriptions lately. So what the health insurer can do is then, you know, having those things flagged can reach out to the member, talk to the member, offer to help them, you know, set up their appointments, get their prescriptions filled, even offer them incentives to go to their doctor in the forms of, you know, I've seen gift cards, for example, things like that, to try to entice that member to take care of themselves. Um, and the idea there is, you know, for someone who's a diabetic, um, you know, the, the truth is if they don't take care of themselves, they're very likely to lose, you know, a limb um, if it progresses. And that means, you know, trips to the hospital. It could mean, you know, they need, you know, some sort of mobility device like a wheelchair or something like that. So the cost is a lot higher for that versus, you know, taking medications on time, going to your annual physical, those kinds of things. So that is that is probably one of the biggest ways that health insurers are trying to to save medical cost. And and that's happening already, um, is what you're saying that that's, that's yes, uh -huh. that some health insurance are embracing. That's right. Um, it is contingent on a lot of different technologies kind of coming together. So the big one is uh, that came, another thing that came out of the ACA, uh, Affordable Care Act, was um, medical records. There were some initiatives around um, medical records. And med that's a big part of it, right? Digital medical records are a lot easier for, um, for our systems, right, to, to access. So traditionally, those, you know, our medical records were stored in a folder. They're kept in your doctor's office and they just stayed there, right? Your doctor had access to them. If you moved to another doctor, they had to actually physically send your medical record to your new doctor. Um, or, you know, someone had to call and ask to check your medical record. But with digital medical records, you know, your insurer can get uh, that information about um, uh, things you've done, things you haven't done, uh, when, you know, last time you went to the doctor, that kind of thing, can, can pull all that data in and analyze it uh, to help make the, those kinds of decisions. You know, that, that's a huge benefit. I, you know, I hadn't even thought about it that way. That, um, but, but I know because my doctor used to write everything on a napkin every time I went to see her. <laughs> right. and, um, and, and now she has to do it on a computer. And of course, you know, I, I was aware of this notion of medical records, you know, being, you know, it's easy for her to share my record with other physicians, obviously with my permission and all of that. Mm -hmm. But you know, here I am, an analytics person, and I hadn't really thought about how limited our analytics capabilities would have been beforehand, right? And, and that description, you know, that example you just shared, um, I mean, is, is really huge, um, you know, to drive preventative care, right? Because I'm sure if somebody loses, a, you know, has a complication and is about to lose a limb, I'm sure that's hugely expensive you know, just from a financial point of view, never mind the 
impossible to quantify sort of, you know, emotional and physical. Absolutely. And there's something to be said, too, about, you know, the quality of care someone provides and how it directly impacts their overall health. Um, you know, it's mental health and physical health definitely have, you know, interplay there. And it's all very important. Um, and then the other thing, too, I would add is, you know, it's funny when I go to the doctor. My doctor is like, oh, you know, I hate <laughs> he hates putting stuff into the computer. I don't know about your doctor, but my doctor is like, oh, man, I hate this thing. But, you know, I, I even had a conversation with my doctor about this. I was like, yeah, but I love it. And here's why, because I don't, I don't understand. I'm a technology person. I don't understand why you guys, you know, like why so much paper? Um, you know, I don't understand, you know, you know, what the resistance is. And I think for them, you know, it's just change is hard. Um, they come up, you know, doing everything in paper, writing paper prescriptions. Now all my prescriptions are set uh, electronically as well. So I don't even have to to carry that around. Um, it's, it's all really nice, but in the back end, it really does help with data analytics as well. Right, right, right. Um, just um, looking at another example, I, I know that, that um, you and I had talked before also about the whole cash forecasting aspect of the business. You said earlier that all of this cash is, you know, it may be cash rich in the sense that the cash is all coming in. It's also going out and there's timing involved and and just the whole treasury function of just managing that cash, you know, at a health insurer when your customers are tens of thousands of individual people dealing with tens of thousands of individual providers. Um, that's got to be very complicated. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, cash flow is something that for an insurer, you know, touches all areas of the business. So, you know, actuaries predict when, when, you know, what kind of payments we're going to have out going out next month for, for, for claims. Um, Cause they'll, they'll predict claims out every month into the, uh, at least out for a year uh, by month. But they'll also have, you know, procurement, um, you know, who's buying maybe, you know, new computers for IT or, you know, um, other operations areas. And so, you know, they're sitting on these, I mean, massive amounts of cash. Granted, some of it is set aside for reserves, so they can't really, they can, they can't really invest that. Um, they, they kind of have to hold it in something safe. But there's still lots of cash they have, um, and so they will take that other cash, and they will, they'll spend. The Treasury Department, for example, will spend a lot of time, you know, finding investments and things to do with that cash that they're not investing internally to increase their profits. And it can be a significant amount of money. Um, but the problem is, you know, with such a complicated organization with so many different um, cash flows coming in and out, it's really hard to get down to the level that treasury typically needs, which is down to basically a daily level. They need to know by day, what am I expecting to pay out? Because the lead time on converting some of those you know, investments from, you know, the investment back to cash and getting it back into your account where it's going to be paid to providers, you know, there's, there's, it takes time to do that, uh, to execute those orders. So uh, with all those moving pieces, you know, it's, I think it's a good opportunity for, you know, for data analytics, whether it's, you know, some sort of predictive model, um, or even just, you know, a collaborative model where 
those different areas in the organization come together and help create a cash cash flow forecast. Right, right. Because what you're saying is that not everybody has all the all the pieces of the picture in front of them. That's right. Yeah, and a lot of times it's just up to Treasury to sort of, you know, say, uh, you know, our cash flow for the next couple of days will probably be. It's traditionally, you know, this amount for for claims and this amount for you know, paid out to vendors, and then we have this amount coming in for premiums, and it's very high level. And of course, you can imagine if if they're off by much, it can create quite a you know, a, not necessarily a panic in treasury, but certainly you know they have to act quickly to make sure that they have enough cash on hand when they have to make those payments. Now that 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 makes sense, and that certainly sounds like like an area that where analytics technologies could be very helpful. So there's more and more buzz, Ryan, about deploying predictive analytics and other, you know, artificial intelligence or AI type technologies in business. Um, in insurance, in insurance, for example, I know that Qubit has helped um, some non-health insurer insurers with, you know, fraud and subrogation detection applications, where the technology has been used to help the experts be more effective by narrowing or filtering the domain of claims they should look at. Um, I assume we could do that with health insurers as well. I'm just not aware that we've actually done that yet. Anyway, what what are your thoughts on areas where predictive and AI technologies are having an impact in health insurance specifically and uh, might have a growing impact in the future? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Health insurers have actually been using data science for years, um, really going back to, to really the beginning of of insurance because, you know, Inside every insurance company is a group of actuaries, and those actuaries have to essentially predict the future of claims based on they use historical these models using you know historical data, information about their members and things like that to help predict what those they think that future expense is going to be. And that's very important because you know that that dictates how much cash reserves, for example, they have to have on hand. Well, it's interesting, though, that even though they have this um, knowledge in their organization about data science and, you know, predictive modeling, it doesn't seem to flow outside of that group. It's very isolated within actuary. And so, you know, I think there is a lot of room uh, there where, you know, analytics can have a big impact. I think the, the biggest thing right now one of the things I, you know, problem that I always saw that really interested me and, and thought, you know, this could be a, a good place for predictive analytics to, to really help was in the contract negotiations with, with providers. So insurers contract with providers, and that could be an individual doctor, it could be a practice of doctors, it could be a hospital, it could be a big medical group, right? It could be very small scale all the way to, you know, city, county, state, even nationwide for, for some of the larger groups or our medical practices. And so when insurers go into these negotiations, they actually have a lot of data usually about this provider, assuming you know, they, they've contracted with this provider before. So they have an idea of what the cost is. They know what members have visited the, you know, those practices. They know the geology or geography, sorry, of of where those providers are located in relation to their members. 
um, so they can sort of you know see where where those members go, which providers they go to. They know how much the services cost, you know how much they cost for the insurer. And so when they're in these negotiations, what they try to do is you know negotiate the contract in the most favorable terms for themselves and for their members. Um, but it's hard to do with so so much data, right? There's there's so much information that you know Excel models and you know combined with you know the human mind is just not powerful enough to really see the big picture. And I think this is you know insurers that sort of adopt um, some sort you know adopt and and look to for ways like this to to sort of bring in predictive analytics can really create um, a, a real you know, advantage uh, in the marketplace for themselves. You know, it, it's funny. We've um, we did a podcast episode a few weeks ago on on predictive price optimization, and in some sense, I feel there's a little bit of a, a similarity here. It's, you know, how do you how do you price your product? How do you you know what or what should you charge or, or what should your contracted rates be um, based on the product? The you know the service that the provider is providing, who the provider is, where they are, you know, what the local market demographics look like. I mean, all of those things could play in. And so what I think you're saying is that if an insurer went into that contract, you know, those contract talks with, you know, a prediction or at least some kind of baseline um, suggested rates that, you know, might optimize their situation from a um, medical cost point of view, then they might be better armed and, and might even be able to get to sort of a more of a win-win type situation for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as part of those, you know, it's a negotiation, right? So they, just like any negotiation, they're going to start off by saying, well, this is what we want to offer. And, you know, there'll be some changes, they'll, you know, a, a counter offer or something will come back there'll be some discussions and depending on who you're negotiating with, how much power they have, you know, they can, you know, they can kind of dictate to the health insurer some because, you know, they can't, they can't afford it in a town where, you know, half of, half of the practices or, or half of, you know, the medical facilities are owned by one company to just say like, uh, throw their hands up and walk away. So if, you know, through the negotiations that they, you know, had a way with predictive modeling to say, Hey, Okay, we you know we you know take their counter offer we you know we analyze it plug it into you know our um, our model and what we get out will tell us you know what we're expected profitability is going to be um, and is that okay or is it you know is it not so um, the thing is the health insurer actually has a lot of information um, they actually have I feel like they have more of the advantage they just don't know how to take advantage of it. Um, in those negotiations. Right. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity there is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I always like to end these podcasts by asking for lessons learned or, 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 learned or, or tips and tricks. So, so let's imagine that one of our listeners works in IT or finance in the health insurance industry. And let's imagine this person is intrigued by the idea of making better use of analytics to drive business process change um, and efficiency in their company. So do you have any advice for them in regards to how to get started or pitfalls to look out for? 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, health insurers are a lot like banks. They're very, you know, they're large typically. They're slow moving. Uh, I even read an article recently by McKinsey about how it basically said, you know, health and in, health insurers and healthcare companies rate near the bottom uh, when it comes to digitizing their business, right? So, you know, leveraging technology, um, which was kind of a surprise to me personally, but it just says, you know, kind of what, you know, the room for opportunity, but also some of the challenges someone would face, you know, in that industry and trying to, uh, you know, bring, you know, data analytics into more into the mix. Um, I would also say, you know, starting out, fight the urge to take on too much. Um, you know, there's, because there's so much opportunity or potential opportunity, you know, your eyes uh, can, what's, what's the saying? The eyes are bigger than your stomach, right? So yes, yes. you see, right, you see all this opportunity, you're like, you just want to do it all. Yeah. But you got to start small. Uh, and I, I say, you know, start with something small focused and an easy win, right? Something that seems, you know, a little bit simpler, uh, maybe something that you have, you know, a lot of um, perhaps expertise in or, you know, in, in our in our world, you know, the bit, one of the biggest problems is data. So if you have the data to support, uh, you know, a particular project, that sounds like an easy win. Uh, and I would start somewhere there. And then, um, you know, if you're specifically tasked with the data analytics of your organization, I would say make sure to build groups of internal customers, right? So, you know, think of your, think of your business partners as your customer, collaborate with them on any of the issues they face on a daily basis, talk to them, try to under their, understand their problem, but also bring them in sort of into the fold, have them help you um, in the process. Because what will happen is those internal customers will actually become your biggest advocates. They'll actually spread the word across the organization about how you solve their problem. And they will, that'll just bring people out of the woodworks about, you know, wanting to get your help to solve this problem or that problem. And at that point, you know, it's just picking and choosing, um, you know, which projects make the most sense, which ones have, you know, the best payback potential, that sort of thing. But don't expect to just kind of walk in and, and solve everyone's problems. Um, you know, break it up into small chunks and, and really uh, focus on, on the easiest stuff. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is just, you know, learn, right? If you're new to data analytics, especially, read about it. You know, watch videos, go to conferences, um, you know, talk to vendors and get as much information as you can because there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, there's a lot of buzzwords, AI, um, you know, machine learning, those sorts of things. And don't get caught up, you know, don't get caught up in all the language or the shiny new things and just, you know, try to try to learn about those things that will really help you succeed. Now, that's great advice, Ryan. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, A.G. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Do you have anything you would like to ask Qubit about analytics? You can tweet us at AskQubit or email us at info at qubit.com. That's info at qubit.com. Until next time. Thank you.